Well, it's Mark 13, and really, uh, I suppose if I'm highlighting any verse, it would be uh, verse 14. In uh, AD 70, I still use AD, and I know it's gone CE, common era now, but uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, in AD 70, Titus, a Roman general, after a number of uh, altercations with the Jewish leaders, marched on Judea, Judah. The respected Jewish historian and writer Josephus catalogued all this and also was a kind of mediator. He tried to broker a deal between the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people and Titus, the, uh, the Roman general. Uh, he pleaded with both sides, in fairness. Josephus, he was a passionate Jew, uh, and he pleaded with both sides to try and come to some peaceful solution uh, to avoid a unnecessary killing. But he was unsuccessful, and uh, more than a million Jews were slaughtered uh, when Titus gave the command to just surround Jerusalem, and eventually they smashed it to pieces and set everything that would burn on fire. And the temple, of course, the temple that Jesus uh, is talking about in chapter 13 of Mark was leveled, smashed to pieces. And even today, 2,000 years later, it's never been rebuilt. Uh, now, in the, the children's story this morning, they were talking about the first temple, Solomon's temple. This was not that one. This was a much newer one, uh, built by Herod, or on Herod's command anyway. So this situation, AD 70, is a big year in the Jewish history, in Jewish history. Now, the context here is Jesus and his disciples are near the temple. Uh, they're all leaving the temple. And then one, of them, one or two of them remark, they look at this very impressive, the edifice, and they say, wow, this is, good. This is great, isn't it? And Jesus stuns them, must have stunned them, because this was pretty, still pretty new, mind. Uh, and Jesus says, well, actually, this is going to be flattened soon. Uh, not one stone is going to be left on another. It's not just going to be messed up a bit. This is going to be leveled. It's going to be raised to the ground. Now, I remember watching, uh, I think, yeah, last year was that, I can't remember, on Netflix, I think it was, the history of the Tsars, the Russian rulers, the Romanovs, and how uh, the Romanovs were, you know, living in the lap of luxury, but the millions of pe peasants starving. And, of course, there were lots of violent dissenting groups who, fortunately, for the Tsars at that time, hadn't caused much trouble because they were too busy arguing with each other. But, of course, they were all starving. And then one morning, the uh, Tsar's wife was uh, speaking to one of the servants, and uh, one of the servants was saying, you know, the people are starving, and, you know, you, you're living in luxury here, and, uh, you know, you need to be careful. Because, you know, if they all get together, you're in trouble. And the Tsar's wife just said, hey, you know, our family, the Romanovs, have been ruling Russia for 300 years. The sun is shining. There's no need to worry. But months, within months, all of immediate family were murdered. You probably know the story. I say immediate family because the late Prince Philip was a great, great grand nephew of uh, the Tsarina. Now, you're the disciples then must have been stunned as Jesus is saying, this is going to be flattened. Flattened. Well, when, Lord? When is this going to happen? And, of course, Jesus was uh, not just the king, the king of all the kings, but and not just the priest of all the priests, all the high priests, but he was also a prophet, and he prophesies here. 
And prophets often prophesied with a kind of immediate, you know, this is going to be the result immediately or soon, and then also a telescopic kind of thing. This is going to happen way in the future. And sometimes mingle them both in prophecy. And we have the same sort of thing here, as Jesus is raising the topic of the temple being flattened with the second coming when he judges the whole world. So he's mingling judgment of uh, the Jewish nation with the temple being flattened with his second coming where he will judge everybody who's ever lived. Now, as I said, uh, Josephus had tried and failed to get both factions together. Then in March AD 70, Titus said, right, I've had enough. And within a few months, three or four months, it was all over. And more than a million Jews were hacked to pieces. And uh, when I read that first, I thought, a million Jews? That's a lot of people in Jerusalem, isn't it? Uh, wh why were there so many there? Uh, it was a lot of people for Jerusalem. Well, why were there so many there? Because common sense in those days, obviously, if you're going to be attacked, where would you run to? Well, a walled city. In fact, there were cities of refuge in the Old Testament, weren't there? So the, you can imagine the Jews thinking, well, we've heard now that Titus, the Roman general, has come in. We'll run where it's safe. Where is it safe? Well, the, the city of Jerusalem, a protected place. And, of course, they ran there. Just, But not many Christians, Josephus records, though a million Jews are slaughtered, very few Christians. Well, why is that? I remember a, a mate giving me a lift to a large Christian conference, uh, and it was massive, like over a 1,000 people there. And we all came out on a Saturday night at the same time. All had parked their cars in the multi-story car park. We all went in. We found our car on level six or whatever it was, his car, rather. We got in, and, of course, everybody's trying to get out at the same time. It was a log jam. It was just chaos. Nobody was moving. And I was sitting there, and I got no patience at all, just sitting there. And he was obviously sensing my uh, impatience. And he just said, oh, let's, let's go. Because everybody's waiting to drive down. He said, let's go up. Up? I said, no, everybody's going down. We came in from the bottom. That's why everybody's going down. Well, let's go up then. Right, okay. Well, we went up. We were the only ones going up. And the guy who was driving knew that there was a tiny little uh, lane at the top, but you could get onto the mountain track. And so we got out, but it didn't look, make any sense to me when he said, let's go up. But everybody's going down because that's the way we came in. And so a million, over a million Jews ran to what made sense. They ran to the protected city. They thought they'd be safe and they were massacred. But the Christians didn't get massacred. Why not? They didn't run to the walled city. Why? Were they stupid? No, they weren't stupid. They believed the words that Jesus said in verse 14. When this happens, when this comes, this abomination that causes desolation, the temple being smashed to pieces and whatever, then flee to the mountains. And they did that. Now, that wasn't a sensible thing to do, sensibly in inverted commas, but they believed Jesus and were spared. Now, many critics, you, people who don't believe particularly, theologians who don't believe in the theos in God. I don't know why they bother with theology, but they do. And they rip this passage to pieces because they say, well, lots of things. Uh, yeah, Jesus was either a fraud or completely mistaken because they take all the words as either applying to then, AD 70, or then in the future. But of course, Jesus is mingling both. It's prophetic as a double-edged sword. 
It's a double barrel shotgun, if you like. Yes, there's an immediate application, but he was also talking about that day, the day, the day of the Lord when he'll come one last time. But the Christians were spared. Why? One reason, they listened to Jesus. They did what he said. They believed him. It was that simple, even though it might not have made sense to everybody else. And that's my simple point. The people who believe what Jesus says, even if everybody seems against them, they'll be safe. They'll be safe. Why trust Jesus? Because he is the truth. I remember a teenager uh, once when I was taking a, an RE lesson, just saying, so let me uh, ask this question. If Jesus is right, is everybody else wrong? It's a great question. It's a, it's a lovely question because it, the logic, the answer is very simple, isn't it? I, you know, I watched, I made the mistake of watching on YouTube, Boris being uh, questioned in, in Prime Minister's questions. Oh, dear, I mean, it's talk about shameful and embarrassing and, and refusing to answer questions. But if you answer that question, you know, if, if Jesus is right, is everybody else wrong? Well, obviously, yeah. If he's right, everybody else is wrong. Now, it's interesting, I was doing a crossword this week, or trying, and the clue was truth. Six letters, the answer. Do you know what the answer was? Gospel. I thought, this is interesting, isn't it? That's interesting in a, a secular crossword, because he is. The gospel is the truth. He is the truth. Now, the papers love the scandal in church. And they, you know, Vicar abuses boys, uh, Baptist minister has an affair, priest embezzles funds. With they, they love that kind of thing because they can ridicule us. Uh, but deep down, of course, they expect more from us. And they're right to expect more because we claim to believe the truth. You know, I worked with a headmaster, a very untrustworthy fella. But it was one interesting thing. Uh, if he really wanted to know the truth, he, had a, he was surrounded by a, a bunch of people who were yes men, if you can call them that, or yes women. But if he really wanted to know the truth, he would seek me out on his own quietly and say, look, I can't trust anybody else to tell me the truth. Will you tell me the truth? And I would, because I didn't really care what he thought of me. But, you know, we believe the truth, don't we? Ricky Gervais, uh, you know, passionate atheists, said science is based on solid evidence. Well, that sounds great, Ricky, doesn't it? But unfortunately, scientists are not always honest, are they? And so when you come to multiverses, well, there's no evidence at all. But Ricky Gervais and others would go for that. They'd say science is based on solid evidence. But Ricky, you're, you're talking through the top of your head. You don't actually believe in practice what you're saying because you've got no evidence for what you're saying. Do you see that? Just look at our world, man. Look at our world. Our leaders. Listen to this now. This is, a, I, this is from memory, so you know anything could happen. Uh, I read this 30 odd years ago. It really impressed me then. It's uh, a guy had written, uh, had read, sorry, Genesis chapter one, and God said, let there be light and let there be, and so there was. So this is a fella writing some, a kind of something you might put side by side. And man said, instead of let God said, and man said, let there be power. And there was power because man saw that it felt good. And it, and the evening and the morning 
with a third day. Then man said, let all the people be divided. Let those who disagree with us be called them. And it was so. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Then man said, let there be missiles and mines and machine guns to protect us from them. And let us exploit them to secure peace on our terms. And it was so. And man looked at all he'd made. And behold, it was very, very bad. And the evening and the morning were the final day. Very powerful. Because we, we're seeing it, aren't we? We're seeing it. We, we see it on the news. Here we are. We have the capacity to tamper with viruses and create something could, that could theoretically kill everybody on Earth. We've certainly got the capability to explode the whole planet if we choose to. You know, do you see where we are? Do you see only the Bible makes sense? There, was a, there used to be a rabbi in, uh, in Lampeter, the head of the uh, Hebrew uh, faculty there, uh, and he said that um, he dismissed Jesus with a wave of the hand for two reasons. First of all, he said uh, Jesus put himself above the prophets. Well, you would if you were God, wouldn't you? And secondly, that he lied in the prophecies like this, you see. This was a lie. Of course, what he doesn't understand, the, the rabbi, is that he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the passage. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. You know, the atheist Huxley years ago said, this was the, the advice, ignore death. I can't believe it, can you? Ignore death, and then in the last few seconds, have a, a squirt of morphine and shuffle off in the coma. Well, just, when I first read that, I thought, well, hang on now. Ignore death. How much of an ostrich do you want to be? I was an ostrich for years. I'm not going to think about it. Ignore death. You can't ignore death. It's, it's guaranteed, isn't it? Even Bertrand Russell, the atheist, said, 100% success, death has, one in one dies. So you can't ignore it, man. And then shuffle off in a coma. Shuffle off where? You know, shuffle, where are you shuffling off to? You know, where's the, where's the logic there? Where's the scientific reasoning there? Psalm 49, I read last week. This is the fate of all those who trust in themselves. Death will feed on them. The atheist would probably respond, yeah, but, but I don't believe in anything after death. Yeah, okay, so you're guessing. You're betting all you got. Remember the top gambler saying that he was so successful because he never bet more than he could afford to lose. But people are gambling on when they breathe their last oblivion. They're betting on it, betting all they have on it. Are you? You're betting all you got on that? When they got no evidence at all, oh, I think we just kick the bucket and snuff it. And I, you know, we're talking to some teenagers over the Phoenix years ago, you know, used to take off drinks out and talk to them. Oh, I just kick the bucket. What if you don't? How do you know? Well, we'll find out then. It'll be too late to find out then. Remember this uh, 1914 in the, the trenches of the First World War? Johnny had been brought up in church, like some of you. But he was surrounded now by a handful of. Uh, hardened atheists who said, it's all rubbish, Johnny, take no notice. And then in 1918, four years later, he said, I'd watched them as they died, and I knew then that they had lied. He saw how the atheists were dying, terrified, terrified, not, no hope. What about you? These Christians in AD 70 were spared for one reason, 
they believed what Jesus said. Do you remember in John 2, when Jesus is about to turn the water into wine, and Mary says to the servant, do whatever he tells you. What does he tell you to do today? Repent and believe the good news. That's all. Repent and believe the good news. When I was a very young Christian, I heard a song on the radio, Chris Rea, Road to Hell. And there were some lines in it. I remember one particularly, hey world, take a good look what's coming down here. I've, oh, I've never forgotten that. I'll finish with this uh, phone-in. I remember lunchtime phone-in on Radio Wales, or donkeys years ago. A fellow was advertising or promoting this um, retreat near Raglan somewhere, uh, where you could go and uh, it would be so tranquil you'd find peace. And the, the radio presenter had enough sense after this fellow had rambled on for ages to ask him, he wasn't a, a Christian, the presenter, by any stretch, but he said, can I just ask you, uh, what good is peace if it's not linked to truth? Absolute silence. This fellow now promoting his tranquil, peaceful place hasn't got the foggiest idea. Have you? The Christians knew they were safe because they did what Jesus said. They trusted the words of Jesus. And so must we, if we got any chance of getting to heaven. Amen.